You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. And as we're thinking about, uh, you know, July 4th, as we're thinking about our celebration of our country's birth, um, you know, and we think about Independence Day, and the the word just kind of came to me, independence. Independence. Yes, we understand that we as a country uh, are independent of tyranny and independent of rule from other nations, but there had to be this idea, too, that even though we are individual, we are all dependent on something. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. So uh, there are two phrases that appear on our currency. And if you have coins or if you have uh, paper money, if you still do that, you'll notice that there's two phrases that appear on our money. The first one is, in God we trust. Okay? And the second one is, e pluribus unum. Now, in, in the word e pluribus unum means out of the many, one. Out of the many, one. And what it was meant to signify is that out of the 13 colonies, we became one nation. Did you know that e pluribus unum also has 13 letters in it, one for each of the co- original colonies that decided to become a nation? It first appeared on money in 1864, and uh, we... The phrase in God we trust uh, recognizes that we acknowledge God as our providential creator. But it also recognizes, too, that the only way we become one, the only way that we as a nation survived, is when we as individuals came together and were dependent upon each other. John Withrop, a Puritan lawyer and one of the founding fathers of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, had this quote, and I found it pretty interesting because we're thinking about the pilgrims, we're thinking about 1620, we're thinking about the Mayflower Compact and first arriving to this country and establishing a colony, and he had this to say, for this end we must be knit together in this work as one man. And listen to what he says. We must entertain each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to abridge ourselves uh, of our superfluities for the supply of others' necessities, we must uphold a familiar commerce together in all meekness, gentleness, patience, and liberality. We must delight in each other and make others' conditions our own. Rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes the commission and community in the work our community as members of the same body, so shall we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and the Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us as his own people and will command a blessing upon us in all our ways so that we shall see much more of his wisdom, power, goodness, and truth than formerly we have been acquainted with, end quote. What a powerful statement. He says, we've come together as one man, deferring and caring for one another. And as we do that, we will see the blessings of the Lord greater than we have ever seen before. The Massachusetts Bay Colony was established on the principle of brotherly love and unity. Our nation was established with these principles in mind. In God we trust, and out of the many, one. Abandon them, and you abandon the foundation of what we stand for, and its fall won't be far behind. 
Samuel Adams, a patriot and fighter in the American Revolution, said this, and I quote, a general dissolution of the principles and manners will surely overthrow the liberties of America than those who can force, uh, than the force of a common enemy. While the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued. I'll say that again. While the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued. But once they lose their virtue, then they will be ready to surrender their liberties to the first external or internal invader. Interesting thought. When Americans lose their virtue, when they lose their strength of character, they will surrender easily in favor of their own comfort. Our independence as a nation is dependent upon these timeless principles. Number one, dependence on God. And number two, dependence upon each other. And these principles are indeed biblical principles. We as Christians must continually be dependent upon God. And yes, dare I say it, dependent upon each other. Yes, it's true you can be a Christian and not go to church. Yes, it's true you can be a Christian and worship individually. You can worship in the privacy of your own home. You can worship in nature. You can worship wherever you want. But it's not just God didn't just create us to worship him individually. He created us to worship him corporately. And it's in fellowship that the church finds one of its greatest benefits, in the fact that you don't have to walk through life's difficulties alone. We experience that firsthand. Listen, I'm your pastor. I trust God implicitly. But how many know that there are times you can be scared when you think on three different occasions, I'm going to lose my wife. And maybe it wasn't that extreme, but it certainly felt that way to me. And in those moments when you're kind of like questioning, you're uncertain and you're doubting and you're uh, afraid of what will happen, sometimes you need someone else to come alongside you and say, it's going to be okay, breathe, trust God, here's a verse of scripture, we're praying for you. I can't emphasize enough how meaningful that was to us. And how small a thing it was for people to offer. But how powerful it was to us when we were struggling in that moment. If you remove that element from your worship, you are missing out on a part that will be vital to you when you go through difficult times. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 1, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to respond to its truth. Holy Spirit, help us to recognize and to receive your revelation knowledge from your word and give me the grace to proclaim it clearly as I should. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. From those first few verses there, I noticed three things here, and you can write these down. 
three things that are necessary for all Christians, but more importantly, that are necessary for Christian leaders. And I preach this as not only to myself, but I also preach it to all of our team leaders, uh, to our board members. This is incredibly important. There's three things I notice here in these, just these short few verses. Number one, as Christians, as leaders, we must walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, different people have a different understanding of what that means. Some people think you grieve the Spirit because you didn't sing the song that they wanted to sing, and you grieve the Spirit that way. If you read in Ephesians 4, you see that the way that we grieve the Holy Spirit is when we don't treat each other right. I've seen many people that are anointed by the Spirit, used powerfully by God in the gifts of the Spirit, but are terrible to people. So if we're going to walk in the Spirit, we must be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, but we must also not grieve the Holy Spirit. Secondly, walk in love. Ask yourself the question, what does love require in this situation? What does the love of God require in this situation? Even as we are led in the Spirit to confront someone or to challenge someone or to pray for someone, are we delivering the message in love? Now, some might say, well, I deliver it in tough love, and that's how you should do it. Unless you're on the receiving end of that tough love, and then the person doesn't hear it at all, right? Tough love. Sometimes it was an excuse that our parents used growing up for them to just be awful to us, okay? Tough love is sometimes an excuse that others use to be rude. When we walk in love, we say, am I communicating this in love? Am I communicating this in the way that the Spirit intends me to communicate? And if I am hearing it, am I hearing it the same way that it's coming out of my mouth? Speak in love. Walk in love. Everything that we do should be rooted in God's love. The third thing, walk in humility. We saw that in those first few verses. Be humble towards one another. Walk in humility. This is not about what we uh, do for God or how God uses us or how many things we've done or our skills or our talents or accomplishments. There are many things that we can very easily take pride in. Hey, listen, you know, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you might even think to yourself that you're pretty well off where you are because you're so smart or you've learned so many things or you're so mature now and you might even kind of despise other people who don't know as much as you or maybe are a little less mature than you, and how odd it would seem to us to be able to say that we are taking pride in the very thing that we receive by grace and mercy alone. The very thing that we receive by grace and mercy alone, there's nothing good within us, but God has bestowed it upon us by his spirit and his wisdom. So always, always remember where God brought you from. So that when anyone walks in through these doors, no one feels as though they are less than. No one feels as though they are unwelcome here. Walk in humility that no matter how high God takes you or how much he raises your profile or how much he increases your influence, you never ever allow yourself to say, well, I'm better than this person. Receive instruction. Be teachable. Always be open to be led. 
by others and to be led by those that God's put over you. Two things I want to talk to you about, depending on God and depending upon one another. Depending upon God is so important. Uh, Look at how many times Paul uses the word one in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Look at verses 4 and 5. He uses the word that we are one body, meaning the church. Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. We belong to one spirit. The Holy Spirit is our seal of salvation. We have one hope. Our hope is eternal life. That's what we long for, is that one day we will stand on heaven's shores after we have passed from this life or until Jesus comes back. Our hope is that he will return and that we will be with him forever. That is our one hope. One Lord. Central to the belief of Christianity is the confession of Jesus Christ as the only Lord and Savior. It's not Jesus and something else. It's not Jesus and another religion. It's not Jesus and a multitude of other beliefs and philosophies. Central to Christianity is the confession of one Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when we say Lord, he is not just someone that saves us and kind of bends to our whim, but what he says to us, we do. And he is our Lord. One faith. Central to their faith was the truth of the doctrines of Scripture as taught to them by the apostles. One faith. One unified doctrine about who Jesus is, the redemption of the cross, the resurrection from the dead, the sinfulness of man, and the redemption and salvation of our souls by faith in grace alone. One baptism. Water baptism was a common practice for every new Christian in the early church. It was the mark of their confession of faith. It was the common practice that all of them shared. So they were one faith, one hope, one baptism, and together that is the way that they came into the church. One God and Father of all who is through all and in all. Ephesians 1.10 talks about us being adopted into the family of God by faith and that the same Holy Spirit that's in you is the same Holy Spirit that's in me and everyone else that sits here and we have all been called by the Holy Spirit to become one family, brothers and sisters in Christ and so we are part of one family adopted into that family by God's grace and mercy. God's word makes the point that we are one because of our commonality of faith. Listen, we sit here and some of us are from different parts of the country. You might even be from a different country. I don't know. But how about I do a little exercise here on the count of three. Tell me what state you're from originally, like where you were born, okay? The count of three, you're just going to yell out your state, okay? Ready? One, two, three. All right, there you go. So as you can see, it wasn't all the same, was it? Some of us are from Wisconsin. Some of us are from Maine. Some of us are from Connecticut. Some of us are from Massachusetts. We grew up in different states, uh, different educational backgrounds. Some of us are a college graduate. Some of us have our master's degree. Some of us graduated from high school. Maybe you didn't even graduate from high school. Maybe you dropped out. That's okay, too. Different educational backgrounds different economic backgrounds. We all have different uh, balance sheets at the end of the year, but God saved us all 
despite of their differences there. We have different ethnic backgrounds. Some of us are Portuguese. Some of us are Armenian. Some of us are Italian. Some of us are Swedish. We're all different in our ethnic backgrounds. But guess what? We are brought together here by one Lord, one faith, one spirit, one baptism. That's the one thing that's made us friends. That's the one thing that's made us family. It's Christ who has brought us together. And although our faith in God is individual, it's that faith that brings us together. But Jesus establishes church not just so that you could worship, but so that we could accomplish the work of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And how many know that's a big job? How many know there's people that need to know Jesus? How many know there, there are people that need to experience the goodness and love and power and spirit of God at work in their lives? That's not just a job for the pastor. It's a job for all of us to be available, to be used by God whenever the opportunity presents ourselves. So our dependence on God is necessary for that. And if we don't have God's help, then we won't accomplish anything. But there's a second kind of dependence we need, and we must depend upon each other. In our dependence on God, we put our trust in divine help from our Creator, but in our dependence upon each other, we must find mutual strength to stand against any challenge. It's in our uh, depending upon one another that we, when we feel like we can't go forward, that we have someone that says, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I, I believe in you. You know, trust God. He's going to see you through. I know it's dark right now, but he's going to bring you through. I just believe it. I know it. And sometimes in the moments when your faith is weakness, is weak, the faith of another person that's strong will actually strengthen your faith. You ever had that situation happen where you feel like your faith is all but dwindled? And you don't know what the next turn is going to look like. And you talk to someone who is just full of faith and confidence. I'm not talking about someone who's being rude in faith and confidence. You know those conversations like, well, if you just pray more. How many know that when you're in trauma and shock, it's really difficult to gather thoughts together? Am I right? Okay. I don't need to be lectured if I'm going through crisis. Amen? I try to do that. Hopefully I'm not doing that for you guys. When I'm talking to you on the phone, I just let you vent, and then I pray with you, and I say, hey, you might want to try this or that, but I'm not like, well, you know what your problem is? You don't have enough faith. You know what your problem is? You haven't studied 13 chapters of the Word today. You know your problem is? It's just like you haven't prayed. You know, we all have those moments where we're going through something, and we need someone else's faith, but the person that speaks to us and says, you know what? I'm just standing with you. I'm believing God for the best. I know he's going to bring you through. Sometimes when you hear those words coming from someone else's mouth, it's all you need. It's like, it's like a cool drink of water in the desert. And even though you didn't have the strength to keep going, that other person gave you just that little bit of a push that you needed to go, yes, absolutely. And sometimes by the end of that phone conversation or that text dialogue, you feel strengthened. Your faith rises to their level of faith even though it wasn't there before. Going back to the American Revolution, the Continental Congress uh, was a loose assembly of 13 colonies, and each colony didn't have an army. They had their own militia. And when General George Washington was given charge over the Continental Army, he had to ask each state to send men to fight in the American Revolution. 
And did you know that there were some states that said, we can't spare them. I'm sorry, we can't send men to help you out. And the difference between their success or failure had everything to do with, yes, they're guided by the principle that they believe in. Yes, they believe in divine providence. Yes, they believe that they were established as a nation and that it was God's destiny for them to to believe in liberty apart from tyranny. But how many know your belief only goes so far if you don't have people that are pairing their belief with action? Right? So the success of the revolution took place when people sent militiamen and and, and, and men to fight in the revolution. And it was only because he was able to bring them together, can we say e pluribus unum, out of the many, one. One goal, one accomplishment. The church is the same way. God has saved us. He has called us by name. He has called us to live worthy of the calling he's given to us. He has called us to reach the lost and to save the world and to show the power of God at work in the world that we live in today. But that's just a belief, and it sounds nice when we say it, but how many of us are actually responding to that and doing something about it? That's where our faith is in action. Now, how do we live this out? Take a look at Romans 12, verses 9 through 18. You still with me? I know it's dark. Don't fall asleep, okay? Try to stay with me this morning. So glad that you're here today. So glad that you're here to see me and Stephanie be back. Um, worshiping with you today. So thank you for making us part of your weekend plans for this holiday weekend. Romans 12, 9 through 18. Paul writes, this is the marks of the true Christian. And there's really just so much in here. So I just want you to stay there and just follow along with me. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. In other words, let your love be real. Let there not be any kind of evil talk or malice in your hearts towards one another. The Word of God even goes so far to say, love them like you would love a brother or family member. Because the church is family. We are made part of the family of God through God's adoption of us, through His Son's sacrifice on the cross, that we are sons and daughters of God and heirs of Abraham's promise. We are folded into that salvation and that blessing and that promise through faith in Jesus Christ. So one of the things that we need to do in order to depend upon each other is to know that we're loved by one another. Now understand that love doesn't always mean that you always get along with somebody. Love doesn't always mean that you always see eye to eye. Love doesn't always mean that you agree just like your own family, right? But they're family, and you love them, and you treat them as they deserve to be treated, not out of what you might have been given birth out of an offense or being upset about something. Verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo each other. No, it's not a competition, but when someone does something good for you, the first motivation should be thank you, and let me pass that on to somebody else. Thank you. Let me, in turn, show love and kindness back to that person. What is honor? Honor is to show respect, to hold someone in high esteem, or to treat them in a way better than they even may deserve. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we should want to do wonderful things for each other just because we want to bless them. 
Sometimes people might even ask, well, why are you doing this? It's just like, I just want to do this for you. I just want to honor you. I want to bless you in some way. I had to go back and say thank you again. Uh, Brian Sherlin came over uh, the other day, and uh, my pool needs a new liner in it, and he was helping me replace the liner in my pool. And as is my custom, I'm always a person that likes to say thank you in some way. And so I usually send some kind of thank you card or some kind of gift card after because my mama raised me right. And when you, people do nice things for you, you say thank you and re- you reciprocate. So I tried to be casual about it. And as Brian is in the pool helping with the pool liner, I'm asking him a question like, what restaurant does his wife like? And he says, no, you can't get me a gift card for doing this. Don't rob me of the blessing. And that's some truth there that sometimes people just want to do something for you to be a blessing without receiving any reciprocation in kind. I try to be that way to some people. I have a good friend that we go out to breakfast all the time, and he refuses to let me pay for it. Always find some subtle way to, like, take the check and pay for because there's a this for that. Or if I get, I pay for him one week, he gets me the next week because, like, he just refuses to, like, let me pay and just, like, not have anything reciprocated. You know, to honor one another, to outdo honoring one another is to say in the body of Christ, we see our brothers and sisters say, you know, I just want to do this for you because I just want to bless you. you. You just have been on my heart, you've been on my mind, and I just want to be a blessing to you. And so just receive, I don't want anything in return, which is weird in the world that we live in today because we're all about, well, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do this for me and now you owe me one. Uh, or I do this for you and now you owe me one. That's not how the body of Christ is supposed to work. We do it because we love each other and because we want to honor each other and bless each other. Verse 11, don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Don't be slothful. In other words, don't be lazy. Have you ever seen a sloth? <laughs> Kids love sloths this day, these days. Like of all the animals, people like there's like stuffed sloths that you can get at the store. Uh, there's sloth stickers. There's characters in kids' shows of sloths. When we were in Costa Rica for um, a mission trip back in 2016, uh, we actually saw a sloth. And they are so slow, they move so infrequently that moss grows on them. I'm not kidding. And there's kind of like this symbiotic relationship that's between the moss and the sloth and even some parasites because they move so slow. So we are not to be slothful when it comes to the kingdom of God. We are to not to be slow to serve, but rather be dependable. In other words, let your faith be filled with fervor. Be passionate in your devotion for the Lord and for the opportunity to show it to someone else. When the opportunity comes to serve, serve. Don't wait or hesitate or wait for someone else to do it but rather do it for the Lord and do it for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do it for the lost that need to know who Jesus is and do it to be a blessing. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Man, this is the one area that every church excels in. One of the one things that a church is really good at is when a person goes through trials, trouble, or trauma, that the church is always quick to pray. The church is always quick to to, to encourage one another. You may not be able to do anything else. Sometimes when, you, when someone goes through something, you feel so helpless, don't you? Like you see them going through something and you just say, I just, I just want to fix it. I just want to like pray and then it's like, boom, done, right? Or you just want to come in and you have the answer and the solution and it just fixes everything. But how many know that's not always the case, is it? 
And sometimes you can feel so helpless. And if you're like me, you like fixing things. You want to be able to fix their situation. You might want to be able to fix their problem, fix their finances. You want to do something to help them. But can we be honest for a moment? There's sometimes moments where we can't do anything. And we're completely helpless to help them. But one of the things that we can do that's very simple and easy to do, and you, church, excel at it, is to text a person, how are you doing? To check in on them. Offer them a phone call. Offer them a message and just encourage them. A note in the mail, a gift card of some kind, uh, just offering to do something simple for them. Those small things can mean so much. And the prayers, oh my goodness, the prayers. Knowing someone is praying with you and for you. There's a cool moment, and uh, actually, do you remember that moment in surgery where the doctor, like, really just got really excited? Do you remember that? You have a moment? Can you come up and say that? Can you remember it? I know it's been a lot. It's been a lot. Um, I, I just have to have her share that with you. Come up here so that we can get on the broadcast, okay? Video. Yeah, it's, it's pretty <laughs> wild, though. You have to hear this because okay, it's really cool. Okay, so <clears throat> there's lots of things that I could tell about how God showed up, but I was, in, I was actually awake during the surgical procedure. They just gave something to me to relax me. Um, but I kept falling asleep. <laughs> so um, I had no clue how much time had gone by. I had no clue of anything really that was going on in terms of the seriousness of some complications that they ran into. So uh, here I am, like, dozing right on the table. And all of a sudden, I heard the surgeon shout. And he goes, ah! And I, and I woke up. <laughs> and I looked over, and he goes, Stephanie, he had an African uh, accent. He was a wonderful, wonderful surgeon. He goes, Stephanie, Stephanie, did you see that? And he jumps and he claps, like, in the surgery. And I'm like, I'm like, no, <laughs> I didn't see anything. He turns, he had, he had several huge monitors, you know, with the camera so they could see. He turns the huge monitor so I can see it, so I'm watching it. And he goes, look, look at this. So there was the spot where they had to cauterize the bleed. He goes, that's the main artery to your pancreas. That's the main way that your pancreas gets blood. He goes, watch, watch, watch this, right? So they, right, he, they replayed it for me. And I, like, I kind of got what I was seeing, but, you know. So they sealed off the bleed. And immediately, like, I'm not even joking, I could see, because you can see the black veins that are, you know, blood is flowing. Immediately, three popped open and started feeding blood to my pancreas. Like, instantaneously. It was, and I, even in my half-out-of-it stage, I remember looking at that and going, wow, thank you, Jesus. And then I was kind of like, you know, back out of it. But the Lord makes away. The Lord makes away. And I know that it was because of all the prayers. I know it was because of, we know we know it was because of all the prayers that the Lord made that way. And the, and the cool thing about that was um, he was telling me about what they needed to do because they're going to have to uh, block the bleed but it still needed to have blood to flow through and he wasn't sure how that was going to happen. 
and I had been sitting in, in the waiting room for like hours. And you know how you pray sometimes? And you pray, oh, God, please, oh, God, please. And the Lord's like, what are you doing? He's like, stop begging me to do this. Just declare that it will be done. So I said, Lord Jesus, I just declare that you would open up those arteries so that they would flow through. Because one of the concerns was, this is the only one that she has to go through. And if they close it up, how is that going to work out? How is the blood going to flow through? And the minute they close it up, three more opened up and fed it. With it. I want you to know something. Like, so I'm, like, I'm praying, and I'm like, I'm, I'm tired of waiting. Is my wife okay? And so I went looking for the doctor, and they have the doors blocked. And this is how bold you get when you kind of like are like worried about somebody. The buzzer door is locked. There's nobody there. And I'm like, I'm going to walk around. And so I walk around, and there, of course, there's no buzzer on the way that the doctors go through. So I go through around the back end. And as I go around the back into the surgical area where they have you wait, as I'm coming through that hallway walking down, he's coming through, the, the surgical doctor's coming through the double doors. He says, I was just looking for you. You've got to see this. And exactly what we prayed was what happened. So I say that, you know, and so the, your prayers make a difference. We felt them, we saw them. Uh, and, and don't discount the ability to, to, that, to just do those things, even when you feel like you can't do anything else. Number, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. This is something you can do for someone and, and when they need it. There are times you're unable to help in some way, but then there's times you can help a person or family, whether it's giving a meal, giving them a gift card to a restaurant or the grocery store, offering to mow their lawn, trim their hedges, or watch their dog. There are so many ways that are incredibly easy and simple to bless your brother or sister in Christ. All you need to do is ask God what to do. And then if God lays it on your heart, uh, you can ask them. Now, there are times where we say, do you need anything? And a lot of times when we're so fried in our brain, we say, I'm good. I don't need anything else. But what if you prayed and God said to you, it's like, bring them a meal. Or you pray and say, you know what? Uh, their lawn needs to be mowed. Go mow their lawn. Uh, or if you say to them, it's like, hey, you know what? I'll watch the kids. You guys go out and you guys go grab some dinner or something like that. What can God lay on your heart to do? And you say, hey, you know, I was thinking about you today, and I really want to do this for you. Most of the time, when you offer an actual option, people don't have the recourse to say no, because they're like, well, my brain's fried. I didn't have anything for you to do. I don't want it to be an imposition. But if you offer something, people say, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Thank you for doing that. We can do something. If someone's in need, sometimes God might lay in your heart to bless that person financially. You might know that that family's struggling financially. And the Lord says, you know, I want you to do something for that family so that they're a blessing. You may be the answer to prayer that they've been looking for. I'm not talking about people who are constantly asking you for money. I'm talking about people who would never in a million years have the boldness to ask for it. But you know they're struggling. And the Lord lays on your heart to do something for that person. And you do it. And they're blessed by it. By the way, I will say this to you as well. Listen, we have a fund set up called the Benevolence Fund at our church. If you are struggling financially, if you're going through a difficult time, if you're having trouble putting food on your table, can I just encourage you to ask us for help? Let us know. We want to help you. Okay? It's there for that purpose. 
and just let us know. Otherwise, we have no idea. Or sometimes if you see someone else in the church that's struggling, you say, you know what, uh, you're friends with them, you're not some distant acquaintance, but you know their situation, go, man, they're really struggling. I know that they haven't probably eaten in a week or, you know, they're in danger of having their electricity shut off. Would you do me a favor and be a brother and sister in Christ and just say, Pastor Dan or Gary Art Roland, this is what's going on with this person's life. Is there anything we can do for them? And the answer to that is yes. So let us know. We're here to help you. When you're there to help others, there's moments where life can be scary. Can I tell you there's a few moments where I was scared? Not for me. I'm not scared of things, but my wife. Like, is she going to die? Is she having a stroke? Is she going to have to lose her leg? This is where your mind goes when you kind of have those moments. You know, so sometimes it's good to have people there that are just there to help you. Verse 14 and 15, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Listen, inevitably, when you go through hard and traumatic things, people will say dumb and insensitive things to you. Can I encourage you, when people are going through things, think about what they've been through before you put them on blast. No matter what kind of week you've had, chances are they've had it worse. Try to identify or empathize with them. If someone's being blessed, rejoice with them. Don't envy them. Hey, if someone just bought a brand new house or they put an in-ground swimming pool in or they got a new car, don't be like, oh, they have a car and I don't. Rejoice with them. You know, when we are excited about the blessings that someone else receives, it's easier for God to give us blessings. But when we're envious and when we resent them for it, we become bitter in our own heart and it's harder for us to receive. When someone's mourning or going through a tough time, try and be understanding towards them. You know, if, you're, if you had someone in your family or a friend of yours lose a loved one during that week, if they didn't call you for your weekly chat and they forgot about you, don't blow them up, okay? Try and be understanding and gracious to them as they go through this. Paul says, when others curse, we bless. And honestly, that's hard to do because sometimes people will rub you the wrong way. But make a conscious decision to be a blessing and say good things, not be quick to judge others. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Two words here, harmony and humility. Harmony takes place in music when two different voices or two different instruments mesh together to make one beautiful sound. When people live in harmony, though they are different, they know how to work together. Harmony and unity can only happen if people are humble. If we're only thinking about our gift, our talent, our department, our ministry, our family, or others, and we feel threatened by them, that's not humility. Think about an orchestra or a band. In an orchestra, a piccolo is not intimidated by a tuba. You know what a piccolo is, right? A little tiny little flute, probably the smallest instrument in the entire orchestra. The piccolo goes, oh, the tuba's so big. I can't do what the tuba does. The piccolo player knows I play my part, the tuba plays his part. Is a triangle or the chimes frightened by a bass drum? 
No. Why? Because they all know their part in the song and that there's more than one person playing the song. If you're part of an orchestra, there's first, second, and third chair, which means this one's the primary lead, and if that person's out, the second chair will take their place. Everybody knows the song. Everybody knows their part, and there's no competition in it. So when it comes to the church, we must recognize we all have gifts, we all have blessings, and we must be humble in what God has gifted us in so that we can be all uh, proclaiming one message, giving one song and one voice, and being beautiful in this place as unto the Lord. Be humble, be teachable, and be willing to learn something new and to love every person that comes in through these doors. Verse 17 and 18. Do not repay evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Don't repay evil for evil. Well, people say, well, they did this to me, so I'm going to do that to them. That's not how the church works. That's not how the body of Christ works. That's not how God's family works, is that when others curse, we bless. When others do harm to us, we don't go back and do harm to each other. Do you remember growing up? Remember being a kid? And you remember you might have gotten into a fight with your siblings or your cousin? And even though they started it and you fought with them, did that excuse ever work with your parents or with the family? Like when they come in and you're both like bruised up and scuffed up and bloody and they go, well, what happened here? Well, he hit me. Well, he hit me first. Did that excuse ever go, well, I'm glad you told me that because now that changes everything. Clearly, you get off scot-free because that person did it to you first. They deserve to be punched in the face because they punched you in the face. Did that ever work with our parents? Did that ever work with our father and mother? So why do we think it would work with our Heavenly Father? Why do we think that somehow, like, if we stood before God today, I'm not talking about in eternity from now. I'm talking about if God took you, like, today, and you did something wrong to somebody else, and he asked you about it, and you said to him, well, they did it first. Do you think that would fly with him? Not at all. So why do we do it? The answer to that is that sometimes, well, we want to get back, or we want to be right, or we want to be justified in our situation. Understand that we need to act like our Father, not like we want to, and do what he says. It says, as far as it depends upon you, Live with peace with all men. So always ask yourself the question in every conflict, which, by the way, people in general are not great with conflict. Ask yourself, what is my part in this? Because it's tough to have an argument with one person. You need two. You can't have conflict with just one person. There has to be two people arguing with each other. But if you choose not to be part of that, then that person is just upset by themselves. So choose what your part is in the conflict. Choose what your part is in the story. Are you still with me? As I wrap this up here, I want us to remember two things. If you don't walk away with anything else, two things. We need to be dependent upon God and dependent upon each other. Remember that when we're strong, it's easy to depend upon God, but when we go through difficulty, when we go through trial, trouble, or trauma, it's very difficult to trust God. But that's where we are supposed to come in for one another, where we stand alongside and we put our arm around them and say, I'm here for you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to pray for you. I'm here to do whatever you might need. 
Are we looking out for each other's well-beings? Listen, we're the recipients of great blessing, and I know it's because I'm the pastor and she's my wife. But I would like to think that there would be as much grace, kindness, and goodness in this house for one another as I've experienced myself. That there would be a love here. Remember, God has saved us all from different backgrounds into one family. Out of the many diverse backgrounds that we are from, we've become one body in Christ. We've become living hope for this area. And so let God use us to think beyond ourselves, to not just simply think, well, worship is about me. Yes, it's about me and my relationship with God. There's a vertical relationship, but it's also about our relationship with each other. If there's something that you've been standing on and waiting for, and you've been going through things, and you feel as though you can't keep going, in those moments when you're depending on God and all of your hope seems lost, can I encourage you to stand alongside another brother and sister in Christ to lift you up, to encourage you, to pray with you? After we do communion, we're going to do that. We're going to open up these altars. And if there's anything that you have been trusting God and praying for, we want to stand with you and believe God for the best. Do you believe that God can do that? I believe that he can. May God help us to be dependent upon him. And may God raise us up to depend upon one another. Are you dependable is a question. Are you dependable? When someone needs you, are you there? Can you be there for them? I know you can because I've experienced it myself. My family's experienced it. But let's do that for one another. Shall we pray? Gracious God, we thank you. Lord, we're so grateful today for all of your kindness to us. Thank you, Lord God, that you love us and that you've given yourself for us. We are so uh, honored with the blessings that we've received in our own lives. And Lord, now I pray for us. I thank you for the kindness that has been shown to me and my family. And I pray, Lord God, that living hope would continue to be a place where we show that kind of love and kindness to one another, that we be gracious to each other, that we would consider one another better than ourselves. When one's faith is weak, may we be the one to encourage them so that they would be strong. I pray for each person in this place. I pray for those that are listening online today, Lord. Would you be gracious to them? Would you show them your kindness? Would you show them your faithfulness? in the midst of all this. We just pray that your hand would be at work among us today. We ask this in Jesus. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.